We are uh, looking forward to focusing this year on a new theme, uh, Behold, I Make All Things New, uh, a text that comes to us at the end of Scripture, at the end of the book of Revelation, where God looks out over the new heaven and the new earth, and he says, Behold, I make all things new. So we're going to focus on this year. What might that mean for us? What does, what's the new thing that God is doing, and how might we become even now new creations in the midst of uh, God's movement in the world. So with that in mind, our texts today come from Isaiah and the Gospel of John. First, Isaiah chapter 43, beginning at the 15th verse. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. For I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. And then from John chapter 21, when the disciples and Jesus had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because, you, because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, that when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wish, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you to where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, Jesus said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your spirit, we pray, O oh Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. Lord, we pray this in his name. Amen. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Jack Murphy, AKA Murph the Surf, was a thief. Not just a thief, but the thief of thieves. Jack Murphy participated in one of the greatest jewel heists in the history of America. He and his ring of thieves figured out way back in 1964 how to get into the American Museum of Natural History and in turn managed to walk away with the J.P. Morgan Jewel Collection that included some of the largest and most rare gems in the world, including the Star of India. 
He and his accomplices were caught three days later and sentenced to three years in prison. But three years in jail was not enough punishment for old Jack because after his release, he continued his unrepentant ways that led him to all sorts of more criminal and mischievous behavior that ended up with Jack serving a life sentence for burglary and murder. Life sentence. Kind of like that's the end of the road, right? But it was in this life sentence that Jack Murphy encountered the ministry and preaching of a certain prison chaplain, and over the months and years, that ministry introduced him to a new thing, a new person. In some mysterious way, the divine had grabbed hold of him, this scoundrel soul, and before everyone knew it, Murph the serf was no longer Murph the serf. He was a changed man, and the changed man began to do all those things that would convince a, a parole board that he was, in fact, a changed man. And to the surprise of many, they paroled Jack Murphy far short of a life sentence, and to, every, to the surprise of everyone, Murph the serf was now a free man left to live a life that still had many, many years ahead of it. And sure, in the matter of months, Jack Murphy went back to prison. But he went back to prison as a chaplain, a chaplain to do for others what had been done for him, to tell the good news about the new thing, about the new person. It was his work and ministry until he died just three years ago. When asked to explain it all, Jack Murphy said, God has a sense of humor and timing and a style all of God's own. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. God has a sense of humor and a timing and a style, all of God's own. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? It may be one of the great challenges of life to perceive the new thing that God is doing or to expect that it will happen. Life has a way of occupying us with the old thing. I, for example, am a nostalgic person. Some say hopelessly nostalgic. I like to look back. I like to dwell on the past. I've got the classical radio, rock radio on my serious channel. I like to imagine that life back then was easier, maybe maybe better. I know it really wasn't, but I like to imagine it was. I'm not the one who's always looking for the new thing. And that may be true for many of us. We, we put ourselves on a course. We set ourselves up in a certain position. We set our sights on a certain goal. We get ourselves to a certain point, and we may not be interested in the new thing that God might be having in store for us. We have plans, and we just kind of like to stick with them. And yet to read our Bibles, it seems over and over again, God steps into people's lives and tries to show them a new thing that God is doing that could involve them. God is a God of interruption. God, God is a God who's doing a new thing, and the new thing is almost always an interrupting thing, a change of course thing. Abram and Sarah, way up in years, thinking their lives were close to being over, Visitors come from heaven and announces that God is up to something new. And a few weeks later, Sarah feels the stir of life inside her. 
Moses minding his own business, tending sheep out in the wilderness of Midian, all of a sudden there's this burning bush and God says, Moses, I'm doing a new thing. The young teenage Mary is beginning to make plans for her upcoming nuptial to Joseph and all of a sudden there's an angel inside the house announcing that God is doing a new thing. And the new thing is already happening inside of her. The apostle Paul fixated upon the certainty of his doctrine gets knocked off his horse, blinded by the light, and the voice from above says, Behold, Paul, I'm up to something new. And you get to be right in front of it. Time and time again, the Bible seems to say that this God we believe in always seems to have something new up God's sleeve. And the new thing, that new thing pretty much always is an interrupting thing, a, a change of course thing. And God almost always interrupts you and me for the sake of someone else. God almost always interrupts you and me for the sake of someone else. We will be starting to study the Gospel of Matthew in a couple of weeks on Wednesday Night Life this first account of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. And one of the things you see when you study the life of Jesus is that it is a life of one interruption after another, one need after another, a conversation needed here, a teaching needed there, a healing needed here, a, feeling, a feeding needed there. And when you read the gospel, you learn that God in Christ is interruptible. God in Christ is interruptible. God in Christ is interruptible and interrupting. God is interruptible and God is interrupting. In John's gospel that we just read, Jesus pulls Peter aside after the resurrection. And even though Peter has shown himself to be incredibly unreliable, Jesus pulls Peter aside and says, guess what, Peter? <laughs> I'm doing a new thing. And guess what? It's going to interrupt your life. And if you love me, you will be open to the new thing. You will be open to the new course. You will no longer be fishing. From now on, you will be a shepherd. You will tend my flock. You will feed my lambs. God is an interruptible and an interrupting God, and it all seems to revolve around taking care of someone else. Last week, while visiting family up in Clearwater, Amanda and I took some time to visit the Clearwater Aquarium, and there we learned a story that we had vaguely remembered hearing about four years before about the appearance in 2019 of five pilot whales each weighing about 1,000 pounds, who had managed to beach themselves on the edge of Reddington Beach north of St. Pete. Now, it's not terribly uncommon for a large fish of some sort to have gotten themselves beached, a dolphin, a whale, a sunfish, but it's usually just one. But in this instance, it was five, five pilot whales together. Why this group of beach whales? Well, the theory is that many whale species swim and live in pods. They live in communities, little whale communities, and likely inside one of these whale communities, one of the community had become ill. And usually when a fish this size becomes ill, it instinctively makes its way to the shore. And in this case, the theory is that four of its pod members were not going to let it go alone. 
they allowed themselves to be interrupted. There was a new thing to be done, so they followed and beached themselves along with their mate, one for all, all for one, kind of like the whale version of the Good Samaritan story. Now, that's the first half of the story. The second half of the story was that some beach walkers and swimmers came upon these beached whales and stopped and got interrupted. And they, they soon afterwards, more beach visitors stopped, and they got interrupted and took in the plight of these whales. And some of them said to themselves, well, here are these magnificent creatures in trouble. We have to do something. So they started calling to find experts who might know what best to do. And within minutes, the experts came and assessed the situation and determined that the condition of the whales was dire. So they enlisted anybody close by, anybody, no experts, anybody close by to help to set aside their vacation day, to set aside their schedule, to help, to help hold the whales, to help hydrate the whales, to help cool the whales, to help comfort the whales, and eventually to help move the whales, eventually to boats which could take them out miles and miles offshore into deeper waters where they would have the best chance to live. Scores of volunteers, uneducated volunteers, knew nothing about whales, stopped and did something. They allowed their course to be interrupted because they saw the plight of fellow creatures and stopped their day and did what they could to help to invest in the well-being of these beautiful sea creatures. Long story short, they kept the whales alive for as long as it took to attend to them, stabilize them, then release them back to their habitat where they happily swam away. And none of this happens without interruption. God's great, beautiful world remains God's great, beautiful world when God's children become, like God, interruptible. Because you see, the thing about this interruptible and interrupting God is that God is always about the next great thing, the next great thing. And the next great thing is just God's way of loving us into a new and deeper way. God interrupts us with God's grace and then invites us into the interruptible life. God is always making things new with a sense of humor and, and style and timing, all God's own. Flo Wheatley got herself interrupted many moons ago. The first change, of course, came for her when her son was diagnosed with cancer. Big change. Her life and her son's life rerouted now into repeated trips, mostly by train from Pennsylvania into New York City for treatments. And then what followed was the next interruption, and that happened one afternoon as they were leaving the hospital. Her son was very sick. He was vomiting. He was weak. She could hardly get him down to the subway station, and it started to rain. And Flo didn't think she had it to go another step when all of a sudden she heard a voice behind her say, you need help, lady? And behind her was a homeless man wearing ragged jeans, sneakers, cut-off army jacket. <sighs> she says, oh. This is the last thing I need, a homeless guy. She was instinctively afraid of him, so she declined his help. No, he said, you need help, lady. And with that, he picked up her suitcase and walked with them toward the subway. When they got to the subway and the subway came, the man got on with them. And when they got to where they were going to their stop, he got off with them and proceeded to hail a cab for them, mom and sickly son. 
And when the cab came, Flo didn't know what to do with this homeless man. She didn't know how to thank him, so she reached into her purse, grabbed the first thing in her hand, her $5 bill. She stuck it into his hand. And as she did, she heard the man say, please, lady, don't forget me. And with that, the man sped off, the, the cab sped off. But what did not speed off were those words, don't forget me. All through her son's treatment, she could not stop hearing those interrupting words, don't forget me. So after her son's cancer went into remission, she said to herself, I, I have to do something about these words. I've got to do something about these interrupting words. Well, she knew she couldn't find the man, but she could do something about his community, the homeless community. So long story short, she got the idea to take cast off clothes of her grown children, sweaters, jeans, coats, whatever, and make out of them a sleeping bag, which she did. And when she was done, her husband drove her into New York and they found a man huddled in a breezeway in the freezing New York winter and they gave him a sleeping bag. She went home and she made eight more bags and delivered eight of those bags back into the city. Flo talked about this, what she was doing at her local church, and pretty soon she was joined by dozens of others who started making with her what was soon to be called ugly quilts. These dozen quilters soon turned into hundreds of quilters stretching across Pennsylvania and the Northeast. And the hundreds of quilters turned into thousands of quilters, as I said, and pretty soon well over 100,000 Ugly quilts were, being, were surrounding homeless people across the globe. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? So as I said, the Bible tells us at the end of time, at the end of your time, my time, the world's time, God announces even then, Behold, I make all things new. I've got a next great thing. And we shouldn't be surprised when we hear that. Because at the beginning of each new day, God says the same thing. I have a next great thing right now. And maybe it's in the needs of your next door neighbor. Or maybe it's in a beached whale on the shore. Or maybe it's in a child who needs some tutoring. Or maybe it's in a family who needs some food. Or maybe it's in the study of Jesus, the interruptible God. Or maybe it's working to bring justice to people who for too long have felt the cruel hand of injustice. Or maybe it's reconciling with that person who once did you wrong. Or maybe it's a quilt around a shivering person. Or maybe it's getting to know a person of color or a different orientation and understanding their story. Or maybe it's taking your turn to usher and greet on Sunday morning. Morning, or maybe it's joining a small group. Maybe God is up to something in you. You know that, right? God is up to something new. God is doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not see it? And if you're not seeing, well, maybe today is the day to start looking because there are sheep to be tended. There are prisoners to be visited. There are hungry to be fed. There are children to be taught. There are caregivers to be given care, victims to be ministered to, God's green earth that needs tender, loving care. And all the good Lord needs is for someone, someone who is willing to be interruptible. 